we as native people have huge buying power right now and we need to take advantage of that and just respect ourselves. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, normally in St. Paul, Minnesota, but today I find myself on the Gila River, River Reservation in, in uh, the Arizona area and uh, talking with someone that uh, I've gotten to know quite well over the years, especially after a great dinner last night. Spaggy, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. So I, I think some people, um, not your friends, know you as Matthew Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but I go by Spaggy, yep. And you are with uh, Hoopa Valley Public Utility District? Correct, yeah. I'm yeah. the broadband manager there, yeah. So tell us, what is, what is Hoopa Valley to start off with? Well, Hoopa Valley is um, a reservation. It's a square 10 by 10 in Northern California in Humboldt County. It's about two hours south of the Oregon border and about an hour and 15 minutes um, east inland from the coast. We are on the Trinity River, which is a tributary that leads into the Klamath. Which is uh, something that is pretty important because you're, um, you're, the area where everyone lives on the reservation is all pretty tightly clustered, right? Because you have a lot of hills. and Oh, yeah. So we have um, uh, so about a seven-mile stretch within the valley that around a mile from the river, river's edge, is where everybody lives on the uh, east and west of the river. It's a north, running, north to south running river through the valley. And I think that's, it's important because... People are like, oh, you're like 10, 10 by 10 miles. Like, you have like, what, like, how many people? Uh, the population from the last census was about 3,500 people. Right. And so you might think, oh, that's like a pretty decent density, but, but they all live pretty close to each other. Correct. Yeah. You're running a wireless network, and that's a bit of a challenge. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, we have, I, I believe they consider it second growth um, Douglas fir, but it is pretty mature at this point and hard to get through on around 40% of the valley floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our valley's fairly peanut shaped. So you, uh, uh, with, I forget what they call them, but they're like little, uh, I guess, offshoots into canyons or bluffy areas that are really hard to get through. That's, that's pretty much the topography of our valley though. Another section is called the Bald Hill area. And that's basically on a mountainous terrain with not a lot of trees uh, at the very top but the houses are underneath hills so it's hard to hit (laughs) right well in even areas that are easier to hit you have too many homes based on the equipment that you're using right oh yeah when we kind of got into it uh we used around two million dollars of cares funding to build out a wireless isp the frequencies we tried to use were 2.5 and 5 gigahertz uh, 5 gigahertz we knew wasn't going to get us very far because there's not a lot of line of sight. The 2.5 we we were hoping was going to kind of be the end-all, be-all solution for us. But we realized that um, the capacity of the sectors were pretty limiting. Only getting around 20 customers per sector, considering a sector costs about $7,000, $8,000, mm-hmm. it wasn't really efficient. I mean... Everyone's telling us that that's pretty cheap, but um, in the wireless world, in the wireless world, yeah. But for us, you know, we don't really get this kind of money all the time, so it's a very large investment for us. Right. So we're gonna talk more about about that specifically. About you uh, recently awarded a significant award uh, from uh, NTIA, and um, and I think as we're getting there, like I think it's worth noting that you are um, really. 
I think, moving aggressively into fiber optics now, which is something that, you know, we met at the first tribal wireless boot camp. We were working through 2.5 gigahertz. Mm -hmm. I don't think that then we would have predicted that, A, there would be that much money available, and B, yeah. that you would be building a fiber optic network <laughs> with it. Yeah, I um, mean, that was one thing that we didn't really see how we were going to be able to do something like that. We knew that fiber, even when we were building out the wireless infrastructure, we were doing it because of um, coronavirus. We were trying to use that CARES funding to get into the home as fast as possible. We knew that that was going to be a wireless solution, but we never thought that we would have this kind of opportunity. We thought it was going to be a much slower process, figuring out the sustainability of the network, how much, how fast we can grow with the customers we have, because uh, the Hoopa Valley only has around 1,200 households, and a significant portion of them are below the poverty level. So finding that many customers to keep the staffing, the overhead, uh, the network up, and build was going to be a a really hard task. And you and you have a good base of that. So Linnea Jackson, your boss, runs the public utility district. You mm -hmm. have extensive experience with utilities and uh, managing them and um, in some cases making mistakes that you've learned from in terms of <laughs> yeah. um, we're, we're joking because so many have learned that issue of like not properly recording where infrastructure is underground. Correct. Yes. <laughs> Our tribe has um, uh, whenever we have like leaks for like uh, irrigation or uh, domestic water, it, we have to pull out a map from like the 1980s to mm -hmm. figure out where the path was. And it has store. And I, I was born in 1989, so I don't even know some of the reference points on these maps. <laughs> but uh, like it, where Fred lived. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there was like I forget what the the store was a general store in this area that is just barren now. And I was just like I didn't even know they had a store there. <laughs> um, it's, it's pretty cool to look through the history through the maps, but um, it's definitely going to be a, uh, our NTIA grants primarily underground fiber. So uh, doing some utility lookups is going to be a big portion of our, our task. Yes. So let's just jump into that then. So you submitted a grant. And I think it's worth noting the maximum grant was expected to be on the order of $50 million. Correct. And you have basically said... We want to really go and and not just build a network, but make sure that it's really going to benefit the tribe in multiple ways. So let's talk about what you proposed. Yeah, Linnea Jackson, when, when the when the grant came out, my boss Linnea, she gave me the opportunity. She's just like, go crazy. What What's your dream world situation for the tribe? And so obviously the first thing that come to mind was fiber to the home underground. Not because I have experience with underground fiber. I just had experience with some aerial fiber that we have in the area. And with the trees that we mentioned before, they fall every year. There's and cut the line. There's fire, forest uh, fires, wildfires that take out the line. Cars will hit the telephone poles and knock out the fiber. Mm -hmm. So we just we figured something underground would be more stable, um, based on the boot camp that we go to. Um, those experts that attend kind say of more about those experts. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so we learned from the boot camp that underground was probably going to be the best route. We assumed that before, but it, it was kind of confirmed there. Um, so that was project, what we consider like the main project of the grant application. Fiber underground. Fiber underground. Initially, when we applied for the grant, we were trying to get some middle mile fiber to a regional build called Klamath River Rural Broadband Initiative, Kirby, um, which is going to be bringing, I think, a 10 gig circuit past uh, uh, the Yurok Reservations town called Witchpeck. And we were going to interface with the that 
pop location there. And that's a project that I, I think it's worth noting because I know that Jessica Engel is, has been frustrated. It wants to point out, has been going on for nine years now and is struggling yes. in permitting hell and all kinds of other challenges. I don't, I don't know what went on with the project. I just know that that was what we felt as the Hoopa tribe was that we missed out because that they initially came to us for that project so that we can be a part of it. And it, it felt like at least broadband in the past, we were just kept missing out. Mm -hmm. um, and there was another opportunity to our south uh, for the middle mile that we were trying to achieve called the uh, Digital 299. Um, it's a state highway, California State Highway 299. It goes from uh, Arcata, California, which is on, uh, meets into Highway 101. And then it goes uh, east towards I-5 in Redding, California, and ultimately ends at a data center in Cottonwood. Mm -hmm. And there was um, a company called Inyo Networks that had proposed that they wanted to route that line off of 299 and go through the tribal reservation and then go out. And we're like, terabits of internet was going to be on this line. And there was just two, I guess, the environmental wing of our tribe was like, no, you're not going to do that. Uh, we have protected plants. Before we had an engineering plan in place, like where the what the method of installation or the route was going to actually mm -hmm. be. And so, you know, he, he had a, a, a very good reason to be like managing risk. And he, he was like, this is going to take I, I, I got to get through this. I can't like risk my project. So he rerouted the project to stay on 299. So in my mind, I felt we missed out again. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, we realized that the California Public Utilities Commission kind of had our back uh, through Karen Eckersley. And Inyo eventually dropped the project. A company, I, I can't remember the, the actual company. I, like everybody just mentions Google and Facebook is two of the main funders to continue that project on. Um, and Vero Networks was the contractor to build it. Uh, Karen is writing into, I forget what the legal document is, but in order for the permitting to happen, to give us a two-strand IRU mm -hmm. from Arcata all the way to Cottonwood to the data center. So in our NTA, asked long, <laughs> a long way to get back to what our, our request was for the regional builds was to build a middle mile project to the north to Kirby and a middle mile project south to uh, the, 299 the build. digital 299 build. And uh, when we applied for it uh, in the curing process for NTIA, they said it was redundant and we couldn't apply for both. We had to pick one, north or south. Mm -hmm. Well, me managing risk, the Kirby project being nine years in, I don't know how long it's going to be to actually complete it. We decided to not go after Kirby or the digital 299 middle mile and build a uh, communications tower on uh, a location we call Jones Point. That would enable us to be proactive with our own funding, our own project, and control the situation. We may not be bringing in 10 gigabits or terabytes of internet, but it will sustain us until other regional builds are ready for us to interconnect with. So you have a wireless backhaul link. Correct. And with the goal of getting between four or five gigabytes into the valley to support the 1,200 homes with 25 by three. And the middle mile or, or the fiber to the home project, the electronics can do 10 gig to the home. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're limited by that backhaul. You're doing SGS pun? XGS pun, yes. Yeah. Um, that's that's the, the goal for now.
So you're also doing a data center, though, aren't you? Correct. We because you're not busy enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we were thinking about okay, what was the best situation for the tribe, and we wanted to have data sovereignty and make sure that our data is ours, is private to us, we own it. Um, so we decided to go for a a project that would build a modular data center with 20 server racks um, inside. Typically on the reservation, I'm sure this is similar on others, um, it's an afterthought where you're going to put your electronics at. So you f often find them in retrofitted bathrooms or in closets um, with not the proper ventilation or dust mitigation. So we wanted to build a presence on the reservation that accounted for how the electronics should be housed. And mm -hmm. that was one of the primary goals. And you're, you're looking for things like physical security so people can't like bust in. Correct, You're looking yeah. for like power that will never go out under any circumstance. Yeah, AB power systems, um, multiple HVAC systems, hot and cold aisles, um, proper fire suppression for electronics. Our goal is to have each rack with specific access code cards so that we know who opened the rack and who, if, if we have tenants, for example, like if a department wants to be in one rack and they want to secure it, they can lock down their rack. So then you, you were one of the earliest awards, uh, not in the, the first wave, but maybe like the second wave. I don't know how to characterize it exactly based on the announcements, but yeah. but one of the ones I feel like we're, we're very enthusiastic about. <laughs> yeah, I hope. I mean, You're I was good. I was <laughs> super enthusiastic. It was the largest grant, single grant that our tribe has ever received. I mean, that's what I've been told. I haven't mm -hmm. went through the books to see, but right. I was. Yeah, told, you don't remember the general store. What do you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm excited. I, I don't know. Uh, NTIA seemed pretty excited to also fund it. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's wonderful. We're you know we're planning on a tribal broadband boot camp hosted in Hoopa Valley in May by you. So yeah. uh, we'll be bringing some some people through to to see how things are going there. I don't think there's going to be a much in terms of groundbreaking, mm -hmm. um, like uh, actually building out the data center or building out the fiber. Um, we were talking with NTIA. We know that um, you know the risk part. Like, what's what's our what's going to make this project go? For nine, ten years, and it's definitely getting that uh, right-of-ways and easements, and which requires a cultural and environmental study to be done throughout a hundred miles of fiber. I, for, I didn't mention that at the beginning, mm -hmm. but it's a, it's about a hundred miles to get this job done, and so that that literally is touching every tract in like land tract in the reservation and NTIA even though we we broke them out to projects the data center the tower the fiber to the home even within that you have fiber to the home segments that are sort of their own little mini projects yeah they right? could be yeah mm -hmm. but NTIA is viewing this as one project it and so until environmental is done on a hundred percent of the tracks that are be touched we cannot break ground on any one segment of this project uh, of so, the many projects so they both want you to hurry up and get going on it but they also won't let you start on like a project in the north part of it if there's yes. still environmental assessment going on in the south part of it correct and i think that that's a misstep on ntia's part i mean i'm not going to bad talk nti because they're giving us 65 million dollars right but i think that it makes your life a little bit harder exactly yeah. and, and if you want to avoid the risk of supply chain and shortages that we think is going to happen due to the massive inflow into mm -hmm. this sector we need to get those uh, items purchased as soon as we can. And pausing isn't really an option. Mm -hmm. 
So we're, we're sitting here at the National Tribal Telecommunications Association. Yesterday, we had uh, a number of presentations that you were like, man, I, I wish I had gotten that when I started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to reflect on any of that a little bit? Just like things that you wish you had known, like resources that you now know are out there that would have made things easier? So some of the presentations that happened gave basic strategies to initiate like your, your thought process. And we didn't have that resource to us at the time. Uh, we, we definitely weren't considering partnering or um, giving up ownership of the infrastructure. We wanted to run this ISP ourselves, but that's not all tribes can take that route because they may only have 40 households to serve. Mm -hmm. And so that's not a sustainable model for that reservation. Our approach was we believe the 1200 is enough customers to keep a small team on staff and sustain. And so looking at the PowerPoints, there were just business decisions, legal decisions, and overall strategy of network design. No vendor ever went into detail of how to achieve those steps, but just having those on a bullet point, like, okay, now it's time to consider this. Right. Have we done this thing yet? Yes. Have we had that conversation? Correct. And that would have, because we're just kind of like building out where it hurts. Like, oh, we really need that legal agreement. We've subscribed like 30 people and they have no binding to pay us like mm -hmm. no legal binding just that it's like a gentleman's agreement we shook hands on it kind of right. thing and they can they owe for uh like the installation but we never developed a contract so really if they didn't pay it we couldn't come yeah make make sure that we were i guess paid out pro appropriately i feel like you were also a little early in the 2.5 gigahertz space we're using some equipment and yeah. you developed some strategies, I think, in terms of you had a relationship with a vendor that got a bit rocky. And, yes. and I'm curious if you can just give us a sense of like what you recommend people do in that circumstance. I think our biggest mistake there was investing in our product, I guess, at large scale. Like for us, large scales, three towers. Essentially, uh, we were we hired a contracting firm to come out and help us develop this ISP since we you know, this is a new world for us. Um, I think. In hindsight, it would have been better to also encourage the um, Cambium, the engineers from Cambium to come out to see what's going on. For example, right now we're doing some testing with Motorola and from our lessons learned, we asked them to bring out a sector and, and just basically show us what their product can do. And their engineers came into Hoopa, they saw the trees and they had more realistic expectations. They're mm -hmm. like, oh, we can't get into that area because given the density of those trees, because, you know, um, ideally you'd have LIDAR data um, on the topology of your area so that the, the I guess, the predictive model could be more accurate. Mm -hmm. Well, once they actually did that, they, they had more realistic expectations. And similar to Cambium, the cost is very high with Motorola. And if I can't get enough customers on the system, it's just not going to be worth it. So having those engineers come out and give us a, a honest answer to what their expectations are for their equipment it, it is just worth its weight um, for our investments because we, we don't get money all the time we're primarily grant funded we don't have enough customers to really rip and replace we don't we're not a casino tribe we don't have something to fall back on mm -hmm. so we can't make a mistake so I appreciate that Motorola is coming out um, it's looking like it may not work out simply just because of that but it is 
we would have never known. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say you know you know now that you can talk to a vendor and say, hey, like this is our situation, will you come check it out? And yeah. you don't have to be a, you don't have to be like thinking that's inappropriate to ask them. No, I, I I just figured like if they're not willing to work with us in that capacity, then we're not willing to work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a vendor, it, it's 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 a relationship. Like we're gonna if we're gonna invest in a product, we we want this to last for a long time, mm-hmm. which means I'm gonna have to buy that equipment again later on, hopefully a better version of it. But it, it's it's gonna be a long term relationship, and if they're not willing to work with you day one, then I don't wanna I don't wanna get into that relationship. Mm-hmm. So you had an issue with um, you know being very early on in a product cycle, mm-hmm. um, and 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 going live with it in a time when, when you had to get people hooked up quickly. So ordinarily, you would have liked to have bench tested it for a while. Correct. But, um, but in this case, you kind of weren't able to. And um, tell me about how you um, went back and forth and, like, and you, you installed people based on what the vendor's requirements were. That didn't work out very well for some people. Yeah. When we first started up with Cambium, their engineers, because they didn't have the data, um, the engineers essentially said, there's this signal that you have to look at, RSRP. Keep it closer, the closer to zero, the better. If you, um, The reading is in the negatives, so negative uh, 120, keep it under that. Um, and negative 80 would be an awesome signal. That would be like your perfect um, world scenario. So, But negative 120, you should still be able to get customers at the 25 by three speed, and it should be sufficient. Well, over time, we with the, as we installed about 30 customers, the data showed that that was not actually a good number to be based off of. So the engineers called us and said, keep it below negative 115. We had already installed customers. Now we have to go to their houses and tell them to remove, we have to remove their service. And some of these customers do not have the option for cell phone service. They do not have the option for Starlink. This was their only hope. And... I gave I gave my word like kind of my word that mm-hmm. I, I was able to serve them. Right, these are people that are like thrilled when they got installed. Right? Oh, they, they thought it was the best thing. But then we kept getting calls like, hey, it keeps dropping. Hey, the signal's not s- strong enough for me to get, uh, I don't know, YouTube running or something. So or my schoolwork, you know, <laughs> I, we actually did have quite a few Zoom uh, concerns because mm-hmm. um, in the LTE world, the uplink isn't really that fast. And with the graded signal, it's worse. And the issue of you having to uninstall people comes back to this technology is not one where everything is really super isolated from each other, right? So mm-hmm. you were um, you were telling me one bad apple basically uh, can bring down multiple other clients. Correct. Yeah. So we uh, we we don't have the luxury of actually leaving them on because if we leave that one person on, it, the number of customers per sector that we can get in a in a system that it has all good apples is around twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, the investment again is about seven to eight thousand dollars for that sector, so twenty isn't a whole lot for us in order for us to kind of recoup that cost. But it, we're just going to have to do it because it's the only technology that can get in there. If we have a bad apple, just one bad apple, we can only serve around twelve customers. So now the numbers are almost cut in half. Right, and so it, it just totally doesn't make sense. So yes, we have to make this one family lose their service, but we can bring on eight other families. Mm-hmm. And, and then you were able to collect all the data of the um, – actually, let's ask you to go through it. Like, the, what data did you collect then to go back to the vendor to say, hey, this is, this is a kind of the heartache 
and the, mm-hmm. the, 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 you know, monetary pain that's mm-hmm. been caused even as we were following your directions. Yeah. So the data that we collected was we had a backlog of customers that wanted to sign up, but we weren't able to sign up because we were working out these bugs. I was able to show the revenue lost by, by not being able to sign these customers up. In the same light, the customers that we're going to have to take offline, I can show the revenue lost because you promised that this would actually work with these customers. And now here's the revenue lost on that. Um, We also had maintenance and truck rolls in order to troubleshoot. We were trying to make these work. We were realigning, like totally doing like new installations for customers to try and get their dish in a better location based on new uh, advice that we would get Mm -hmm. on a rolling basis. And over time, that advice, you know, you know, got us to some stable, but customers had to get dropped. Some um, were able to stay. Um, but we took that that financial kind of burden that we took on. And I think it was around two hundred thousand dollars that we said we we kind of suffered from. And Cambium turned around and gave us uh, once they came out with a new uh, what they call a SM or a CPE subscriber modules, what they call it. It had a higher gain. So we can shout from the tower, but they can only whisper from the home. This new dish allowed them to talk a little louder so that uh, the connection was uh, better established. But that was one step. It got us to keep some of the customers on that we thought we were going to have to get uh, removed for the better of the network. But another thing that they did was just some licensing that they have for their, their software that they offer. And... And one of them that actually helped us out was for the the uh, BDC and the four seven seven reporting. Oh yeah, was their CN Heat application? Um, since we used one hundred percent Cambium equipment, they had all our data there, and and we definitely uh, slept on that requirement because we had we we did it the day of. You're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> but the data that we were able to pull from that software was able enabled us to get it get it through the finish line by i think we finished at 6 30 p.m that day yeah wow <laughs> but i but. i think uh, the larger message is often people again could have, you can hold vendors to higher expectations and yes. you come with the data a good vendor is going to respond and and make you whole or or try to make you whole as best they can oh and and definitely I, I, so i'm new to this this i guess um arena if you will and I've been told that it's been really hard, but I think with the money that's being pumped into into just the native country in order to solve broadband issues, vendors, I think, are realizing that they're going to have to give a little bit more in order to get that investment um, paid off. Mm-hmm. We, as native people, have huge buying, buying power right now, and we need to take advantage of that and just respect ourselves. I, I like recommend to any tribe to not be... Like, it's kind of hard given the situation, but if you can take time to test. Um, for us, it wasn't just that we couldn't test. There was pressure from the tribe, but now that I'm like reliving it in my head, I remember that there was also pressure that we only had one year in grant funding mm-hmm. to sus- to sustain the payrolls of the staff. We needed to get to a certain point for sustainability. Luckily, we never achieved it. Acorn should have failed, but. Luckily, Linnea got a different grant that paid for our salaries for an additional two years. That's Acorn Wireless, which I don't think we mentioned. Oh, yeah. So it's the name of the the wireless division. Correct. Yeah. So we are we have only been alive due to grant funding. If if we didn't, we we don't have the subscriber count. We only have around 200 customers right now, which brings in roughly 18,000. And 
that only covers like the overhead to bring the internet in um, and some staffing and operational costs. But you are you are now venturing into the affordable connectivity program. Correct. We have received the the FCC approval. We are going to send off the the USAC email today to get the second part portion of that mm -hmm. to get approved. Um, we meet all the requirements, so I don't see us not getting it. It's taken us a while to even apply for it just because we're a small team. We don't have a lot of time. And NTIA was a big push. Right. And then, so we're always in this state of the grant's going to run out, so we need to find the next thing. Mm -hmm. Once we were told that we were awarded NTIA, we are the pressure's kind of off. If if it was if we did not receive NTIA in March of 2023, we would have ran out of funding, and then it would have just been me. Wow! <laughs> I'd have, have let go of all my staff and just yeah ran an ISP alone. So that doesn't, it, sound, it doesn't sound like fun. No, there's <laughs> there's always that financial pressure, and yeah. and I, I understand that struggle. Like we live and die by the grant right now, and hopefully with this large influx of funding we can achieve sustainability we've done financial models that proves we can mm -hmm. but um so i say hopefully but one thing that like the nti kind of threw a wrench was that um in the beginning we kind of talked about how i can't do the um you can't get going i can't get going until all the environmental and and is completed well the wrench that that threw in is we can't break ground maybe for a year and a half which means the construction phase is also going to take about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. We only budgeted for two years in the in the grant. Right. And so now we're going to have to move money around to try and make that three years or possibly four years. Mm -hmm. And and so there, it's just continuously worrying about keeping up staff. Yep. And e even though we, we got a large award, it's still in the back of our heads like we need to get this done as fast as possible is hard when you want to make sure the hardware is working properly right yeah <laughs> well i really appreciate this vision into what it really takes yeah. and uh, what it's like on the ground one thing i wanted to add about mm -hmm. ntia is um essentially the infrastructure projects we've mentioned one thing that the hoopa valley tribe is trying to do in the specifically the public utilities district is that we have a construction arm and we want to get workforce training and development so that we can get skilled staff to maintain this system over time the construction arm we have planned to learn how to do horizontal directional drilling, trenching. They kind of do some of that already with the water side. Mm -hmm. um, so getting them to key into the broadband infrastructure side would be awesome. We also have um, workforce development for fiber technicians that we want to, uh, th that is in the grant, um, along with project management, outside plant design, and developing the tribal workforce is one of the goals that we want to achieve with this grant as well. Yes, I think that's the, the dream because, I mean, I, I seem to recall both you, um, Linnea, Jessica, kind of having this moment of, well, we really hope we get the money when you're applying for it, but mm -hmm. when we get it, we don't know how we're going to find enough people with the right skills to be able to pull it all off. Correct, yeah. <laughs> no, it's definite. And you don't want to just bring in people from Arkansas, right? Like Correct. Yeah, because they're just going to leave, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we hope that some of our tribal members do leave. Like they, we want to we're gonna, skills. We're going to bring in tribal members that have the skill set to go move on to build other networks. Um, we're not going to be able to sustain the amount of staffing we are going to up upscale to. Mm -hmm. um, the network's just not going to be large enough. But if we can develop 
very high paying jobs for tribal members. That, that's a win in our book mm-hmm. and it's, it's worth the investment and it's definitely key in the sustainability of the network. You can't get around not having the right workforce. Yeah, that, that's our, our, one of our primary goals out of this is to get the right equipment on hand and the right staffing on hand to maintain the systems after the money's gone. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. It's been great talking to Peggy. Am, am I going to be on a podcast then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, uh, this, is, uh, this is not just a podcast, but the longest running premiere broadband podcast about community networks. Nice. <laughs> we have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.